<laughs> oh, this is so fabulous. Ain't nothing like getting together with family and having a good meal. Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are. Hers and hers and his. Please come and meet you. Come and dance on our floor. Dance on our floor. Take a step that is new. We are so glad that you are worshiping with us here today at West or that you are worshiping with us online. We extend a very special warm welcome to you. We also, today is the first day of something different, a new partnership that has come to full fruition now at West. We are a part of what is called Common Ground, Reverend Frederick Bowman came up with that term to talk about what we've been doing for a while with faith in St. Paul, trying to break the diversity divide that exists in churches today. And so on the fifth Sunday of every quarter, faith in St. Paul and West will worship together. And we'll worship here just because we all fit in one space at one time in the auditorium. But you'll get to hear Pastor Bowman preach uh, in the future. So we are so glad that you are worshiping with us from Faith in St. Paul. We extend a very special and warm welcome to you. It is also good to be back from Nebi, Uganda. We landed late on Wednesday night, and so I think the team has just a tiny bit of jet lag, but it is so good to be back with you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for following the blogs, and it was, it was just a powerful life-changing trip that you'll hear about a little in the message this morning. We have been showing you videos about people coming coming over for a meal and talking about knocking on the door and will you let people in? You know, in our culture today, meals are still very important, but they're probably not as centrally focused and important as they were back in the days of Jesus. So I want you to be involved for just a second by clapping. How many of you eat a meal every night with either some friends or family members? Members. Every night you sit down at a formal meal. Will you clap for me? How many of you don't? How many of you eat on the run in your car or you grab something? Uh, will you clap? We live in a culture today where we are so busy that mealtime is just not that sacred time that it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago, even 30, 40 years ago, and certainly not in the times of Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at uh, some, some teachings of Jesus to the religious leaders about mealtime and, and what to do with that, and their teachings that I think would be applicable to us today. On the airplane that was flying flying from Charlotte to D.C., I think is one of the legs of the flight, I had the opportunity to sit beside a gentleman that did not grow up in the South. Now, I'll confess, when I'm on an airplane, I like to put my earbuds on and not engage in dialogue and conversation, but he was very chatty, and so I didn't really have the opportunity to go into my... I know you're shocked that I don't want to talk on airplanes, but I really just, you know, wanted to, to chill. And so this gentleman was flying back to Syracuse 
Syracuse or Rochester, New York, after having been in South Carolina taking care of his retirement home. He and his wife had purchased a home about 30 miles out from Myrtle Beach uh, a few weeks prior to the hurricane hitting. And so his neighbors called him and told him that he needed to come down and that there were trees down in his yard, etc. So they had just literally purchased this house. He had flown down to South Carolina and spent some time there cleaning up his yard. And he was so moved by the experience that came with that cleaning that he wanted to talk to me about it. He said, have you always lived in the South? Did you grow up here? And I said, yes, actually, I've always lived in the state of North Carolina, all over the state, but, but I've always lived in North Carolina. And he said, you Southerners, you amaze me. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you're just so nice. And I said, well, elaborate on that a little. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't feeling very nice because I didn't want to talk to him, you know. So I was feeling so hypocritical at that moment and praying for forgiveness in my brain. And he said, you know, so up where I'm from, first of all, we don't have neighbors. It's, it's farmland. And I said, yes, I have been to upstate New York and I was mesmerized by the beauty and also by the, the sparsity of the population. You don't live near each other. And he said, no. He said, our nearest neighbor, you know, is like three, four miles away. And he said, so, you know, I've just been so struck by the friendliness of the neighborhood that we've moved into or or bought a house at. He said, you know, up where I'm from, you don't knock on anybody's door. He said, you don't really, you know, interact with one another. Everybody minds their own business. He said, but here, you know, in in South Carolina, he said, when we bought the house and we spent our first weekend there, he said, every time I would turn around, there'd be somebody knocking on my door. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, why why are y'all knocking on the door? And, And what do you want? He said, you know, at first we thought, well, we would just ignore them. But then we realized that we probably couldn't do that. They knew we were home. And so, So we started answering the door and people would come bring bread, you know, banana bread and and drinks and groceries. He said, it was amazing. We've never been a part of anything like that. He said, but the thing that struck me the most was this past trip when I came down to, you know, clean the yard from the hurricane. He said, it was late in the evening, the first day that I got here and there was a knock at the back door. He said, now, I'm just going to be really honest. Where I'm from, if there's a knock on the back door, you know you better go to the door with your gun. And so I was like, oh, I I can't imagine going to the door with a gun. Um, But he said, you know, that's just the culture that we live in. Nobody knocks on the back door ever. He said, but the first night that I was down in South Carolina after the hurricane hit, um, there was a knock on the back door. And the next thing I knew, all our neighbors were there with chainsaws and they worked tirelessly the whole weekend to clean up our yard. He said, I've never been a part of something like that. He said, and that was transforming and life-changing for me. I never knew that people would care about people that they did not know. You know, 
that story stuck in my mind all week long while we were in Uganda. I never knew that people would care about people that they did not know. It is ironic because this message series has been planned for quite some time. Today, we are actually having a soft launch of the pig out food truck. It's parked at Parkview Elementary in about one hour. If you don't have lunch plans, we invite you to go over to Parkview and have a free lunch, compliments of Common Ground and our pig out ministry. And we're, we're doing a, a dry run to see how it's going to go when we launch this food truck mission initiative the first Sunday after Thanksgiving. The whole reason that we're doing this, this food truck mission and this initiative as a common ground ministry is to show the community that first of all, people of different races and colors can love each other, but people of the church can bust out of the bubble on a Sunday morning, that sacred worship hour, and we can go do and be like Jesus called us to be, which is to go and care for one another and serve one another and feed one another. That's the whole point. Oh, cool. Thank you. The really neat thing is this is your vision. It's, it's not mine. And I just have the opportunity to put some wheels, no pun intended, on the vision. But a couple of years ago, we asked you on the first Sunday of the new year, where do you see West going? And you kept drawing food and taking it on wheels. So you guys have, have given... Uh, wheels to the vision. And so I do believe that God is going to use this, this mission initiative in the days ahead. But the really cool thing is this is exactly what Jesus teaches. And I wanted us to hear this passage this morning. And I wanted us to reflect today and for the next two weeks about who is God calling you to knock on their door? And what door is God calling you and me to open? And then what does God want to do with us when we knock, when we open, and as we continue in our journey of life? Jesus knew the sacred customs that surrounded meals. Meals were a really, really, really big deal back during the time of Jesus. In fact, you will see over and over again in the New Testament, uh, this is how they decided who had status and stature, who was important, who wasn't. And so knowing all that, Jesus went to the home of a Pharisee, of a religious leader, and he was hanging out and observing what they did. So I want you to hear this story that's taken from the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 14, and it's when Jesus eats at a Pharisee's house. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat in the house of a well-known Pharisee. Jesus noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table. So he told them a story. He said, suppose someone invites you to a wedding feast. Do not take the place of honor. A person more important than you may have been invited if so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and he'll say, give this person your seat and then you'll be filled with shame. You will have to then take the least important place. So when you are invited, take the lowest place. Then your host will come over to you and the host will say, friend, move up to a better place and then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests 
And here's the most important part of this passage. Anyone who lifts himself up will be brought down. And anyone who is brought down will be lifted up. Jesus goes on to say, suppose you give a lunch or a dinner. Don't invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you to eat with them so that you'll be paid back. But when you give a big dinner, invite those who are poor and also invite those who can't walk, the disabled and the blind, and then you will be blessed. Your guests can't pay you back, but you'll be paid back when those who are right with God rise from the dead. In the time of Jesus, people noticed where you ate, so they noticed whose house you went to. They noticed who you ate with, not just where, but who all came, who all got the invite to the party. And then the third thing that people noticed back then was, where did you sit at the table? There were places of honor at the table, typically to the right or the left of the guest. And so depending on one of those three criteria depended on your own status and a lot of times that's how people would derive their own self-esteem. It's how they'd feel good about themselves. You know, I got invited to that party. You know, that still exists in our culture today, right? If you walk down the halls of the high school on Thursday, you'll hear the conversations about the parties for the weekend and that is how you know you're in or not. You get invited to the cool parties. And so self-esteem and our status is derived by, you know, these meals, these situations, where you go, who you go with, and where you sit when you get there. Are you in? And so Jesus had noticed that at these Pharisee homes, and keep in mind the Pharisees were the religious rulers, at these Pharisee homes, you know, they were not inviting people that don't normally get invitations. You know, they had a who's who, the top 50, and those would be the people that were invited to go and, and have a meal at these religious leaders' homes. And that disgusted Jesus. Jesus was trying to teach them about the nature of God. And he was trying to prove to them that God does not care about the glitter of a guest list. God doesn't put, you know, stars by our name because we invite the, the who's who in the upper echelon. I want you to take a look at two screens. I want you to take a look at the list of people that Jesus said, do not invite. You don't need to invite. You should not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. That's who you should not Invite. Now, that's who we normally invite. Now, if I were going to have a get-together this evening and in the season of Halloween, and I were going to invite some people, who, who am I going to invite? I'm going to invite the people that I'm closest to, my friends, my family, my neighbors. But Jesus says, that's not, that's not who you invite. Here's who you should invite. I want you to invite the poor the crippled, the lame, and the blind. 
Now, I want us to put this in our context today. That does not mean literally that we go out and only look for people that are sight impaired or people that cannot walk. Jesus is telling us that we need to go and we need to invite the very people that are not going to be invited any other time. People that can't pay us back. You know, that's the kosher thing to do, right? If you get invited to a meal at someone's home, then you return the favor and you invite them back to one at uh, yours. That's the whole thing that Jesus is trying to teach against. Don't invite the people that can pay you back. Invite the people that you're not going to expect anything from in return. And when you do that, when you let go of your desire for status and prestige, and when you quit trying to build your own self-esteem based on the opinion and the engagement of others, then you will receive the honor and the glory of God. And That's something that's internal, not external. And so that's that's the lesson that Jesus was teaching back then. And it's a lesson that he still teaches us today. I love that quote. I read it from some theologian. God does not care about the glitter of our guest list. What God does care about is that we use the resources that we have been given to go and knock on other people's doors and invite them in. You see, God uses that. God uses us, and and it makes a difference. It changes things. It's not about the place of honor. It's not about being first, because the first will be last. The last end up being first. I want to close this morning with a story about a young girl in Acres of Hope. If you're worshiping with us for the first time or you're new to West, Acres of Hope is the partnership that we have had the opportunity to begin creating with Pastor Jeffrey Odongo, who will be worshiping with us and speaking briefly next Sunday here at West. Uh, We met him five years ago. He had some blueprints and had purchased some land. He grew up an orphan. His mother tried to kill him as a young boy by sticking a burning stick into his side and piercing his side and she left him for dead. And so he was raised by various villagers and then when he, after he went to school, he decided that he wanted to make a difference and pay it forward and make a difference in the lives of other young children there in Uganda. And so he bought some land and he began praying about his vision called Acres of Hope. Now, five years later, he has partners all across the United States, and we are one of those partners with our sister church, Williamson's Chapel. He has built, with the help of others, five pod houses there in Uganda and two school buildings, and they are working on their next step, which will have a medical clinic and and other things Pastor Jeffrey has used the things that he's been given to make a difference in the lives of the people. On the way back, we were talking about one of the young girls that seemed uncharacteristically sad while we were there. 
She's a young girl that is sponsored by one of the West folks. That's how we continue to make a difference at Acres of Hope. It's a child sponsorship for $50 a month. They get to go to school. They get to live there at the Acres of Hope compound or property and they get food and medical care they get tested for HIV then they get drugs to combat the disease if they're diagnosed positive I mean the child sponsorship makes a huge difference in the lives of the kids and this little girl has been sponsored for a couple of years now but about midway through the week she just was so sad and it seemed like every time you know, we would interact with her or turn around, she would be crying. And we couldn't figure that out. I mean, we knew that leaving would be sad, but we couldn't figure out what was wrong, why she was so sad in the middle of the experience. On the way home, Jeffrey shared that he needed to talk to me about this young lady. He said, I need to let you know what happened in her life. And he said, back at Christmas, three days before Christmas, we have a big, big Christmas party for all the kids of Acres of Hope, all 150, and we kill the, the pig and the goat and the chickens, and we have just a feast. And then they all get Christmas presents, and we just celebrate really, really big. And then if they have family members, extended family members like aunts and uncles and grandmothers, they will leave and go stay with those family members, you know, through the season of Christmas. He said this past December, they had the big party. It was festive and everybody was having a great time. And he said, you know, truthfully, it probably went a little longer than it should have. And dusk was falling as the kids were beginning to walk home. He said, if I had it to do over again, we would have ended it sooner, but I had no idea what would happen. As this little girl was walking through her village, leaders had walked her to her village, but you know the village consists of lots of little mud huts just all concentrated in a small area. As she was walking through the village to get to her grandmother's mud hut, a young man reached out from one of the huts, grabbed her, pulled her into the hut, and brutally raped her. So bad that... Um, Blood was pouring from her face, and you know, he left her for dead. She found a way to limp back to her grandmother's hut, and her grandmother immediately took her to Pastor Jeffrey at Acres of Hope. Jeffrey said he was shocked when he saw her because. Truly, she looked so beaten up. He, he couldn't believe all that had happened. They went immediately to the infirmary, the medical center, and there are, were two different doctors there, and both doctors declined treating her because they said the damage was too great. Jeffrey, being Jeffrey, would not take no for an answer. And so they found a way to get her into a bigger city and found one more doctor. And this doctor was willing to treat her. The rape was so brutal that she still needs follow-up surgery. She walks now with a limp. 
And Jeffrey said, I, I just thought maybe you should know why she's so sad. I was like, I mean, there are no words. And Jeffrey said, but you know what? Even in all that, she has hope because she knows that she is loved. Jesus teaches us that we are called to knock on the doors of the people that do not know they are loved. And that means we knock on the doors of people figuratively and maybe sometimes literally of people that don't know us, of people that are different than us, and we carry hope. That was the whole lesson of Jesus at the meal with the religious leaders. And it's a lesson that's still relevant for us today. At another meal, when Jesus was with those who were closest to him, he knew what was getting ready to happen in his life. He knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. And so he gathered those that were closest to him together, his disciples and his friends and his followers. And as they celebrated the Passover meal, he gave it new meaning. They gave thanks to God for the bread and the cup that was before them. And then he said, I want you to take and eat of this bread. This is my body that is broken for you. And every time you eat of this bread, I want you to do it in remembrance of me and the things that I have taught you. And then he took the cup. He gave thanks to God for the cup and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you and for all for forgiveness of your sins. And every time you drink of this, every time you drink of this cup, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. What do we remember? We remember that Jesus loved and cared for the very people that no one else would. He loves us, and he calls us to go and love one another. Let us pray. Gracious God, will you pour out your spirit on this bread and this cup? Make it be for each of us, your body and your blood. Make it be for us real and tangible experiences that we have with you today. O giver of all good things, giver of life, you are the divine, and we are so blessed by you. Forgive us of the times that we fall short of being the, the people that you have created and called us to be, and use us for the work of the kingdom so that we may sit around a banquet table with the people that would never get an invite from anywhere else. We give you praise and honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We are so glad that you came here to worship today. You know, you're already living out what Jesus said by coming to worship together. Faith in St. Paul, thank you for foregoing your normal worship hour to come here. And West folks, thank you for being a part of the Common Ground vision. We are showing our community and our world that race does not have to be something that divides us. So thank you for embracing that vision.
And now may you go and may you knock on someone new's door and extend the love of Christ. Go in peace. How great is our